Um, man, we just like hit it off with this family. I don't know how it's been. I can't remember. Last time we kind of talked about three years, four years, something like that. Um, just a delight. You know, with the theme that we have, our theme this year is generations. Um, just really have that in our hearts to, man, we want to make an impact. We want to be intentional about not only those who are even before us, because there's, you know, generations just doesn't go, you know, we're not just pouring into the ones who are coming after us. That's a big part of it. We're pouring into everyone who is around us. People who are, 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 are far off in us in age, so to say, whatever, they have things that we need. We have things that they need. It's, it's always a need. That's part of the body. The body needs each other. And our main scripture is really from uh, Psalms 145, 4, that says, Generation after generation declares the faithfulness of the Lord and displays his majesty. And how beautiful because, you know, one generation gets to benefit from all the revelation that they get. If we're, if we're intentional about passing on, each generation receives revelation from God. We get to pass that on to the next generation or those around us. And then they receive their own revelation. So it's a kind of a compound thing going on that there's more majesty. There's more glory of God to reveal to those who are around us. And when I think about um, generations, uh, you know, several families I could think of. But one of them is the Clawson family. Just because they have, you know, the generations just serving. It's, it's a, an inheritance. You know, when you begin to serve God, God says, you know, he's going to bless us, you know, down to a thousand generations. If you look at it that way, you could say, I got a thousand generations living on the inside of me. And as, and as we keep renewing our faith to God, it continues on. He's going to be faithful to the generations. I see it in my family, from my grandparents, my great-grandparents, to me, to my children, believing and praying for my great-grandchildren and my, uh, you know, daughter-in-law and son-in-laws, you know, whenever they come along. Praise the Lord. We're, we can we can make a, such a big difference, and I'm excited about having them with us this morning. And I believe Miss Amy is going to be teaching this morning. They also have a um, uh, uh, what do you what do you call it now? Just a uh, merchandise table or whatever books. That, I don't know the proper thing to say. Uh, they have they have uh, books and 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 uh, just uh, DVD. They have, yeah, DVDs. Yeah, that's right. We got that. Silas uses that. I'm sorry, I haven't used it. I need to. I need to. <laughs> but they have a lot of awesome resources. We have some personally, and it has benefited our lives. I know it will benefit you, so you can get to that uh, after service. Uh, but at this time, let's just give a, a warm welcome for Amy Clausen as she comes and ministers this morning. Amen. Good morning, everybody. So you are going to um, hear from a mama this morning because uh, I, I am passionately in love with God, but I am very practical with him and he with me because I tell you, you know, my walk with him has to be where my rubber meets my road and where my rubber meets my road is not glorious or glamorous. It's every day. Um, doing the things that make a house a home, which, you know, involves laundry and, and, you know, honestly, that doesn't include cleaning toilets for me anymore. I was going to say cleaning toilets, but I have, look at all these nice children. <laughs> yes, they clean my toilets. Um, but I, I have some things that these, this message that I'm going to preach this morning is I'm really going to preach it to myself because this is something that the Lord showed me a few years back. But I, you know how sometimes in life he shows you something and then you walk through life and then you go, oh, that's what you were talking about. And like when he first shows you, it's like, yeah, that's really good. And then it's like, oh my goodness, I need that. Like right now, that is a now word for me in my life, even though you spoke that over here. And um, so, and thank you for sitting here so I'm not talking to myself, but I want you to know I'm talking to myself this morning. I, I, uh, the Lord is so good. And um, kind of the our overarching theme is the generations for me because I want nothing more than to steward what the Lord has given me really well. I have eight beautiful children, one granddaughter and a husband that are my people. They're mine. And the things that the Lord is showing me and the things that as my kiddos are going into adulthood, all of this looks different. Navigating life with, with you know, eight children under the age of 15 it was one season of life and honestly simpler 
because they all just were home. And in this new season, the Lord's showing me things that in the transitions of life are necessary for me and my family to thrive. And um, so we're going to talk about the walk of wisdom this morning. And we're going to start with a few Bible verses. Psalm 16, verse 11. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. Psalm 37, 23. The Lord makes firm steps of the one who delights in him. Psalm 119, 105. You guys all know this one. Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. How many of us want that for our families, for our generations? Your word is a lamp for my feet and a light for my path. And you know, the Lord has spoken and he still speaks, right? And learning the ways of wisdom means stewarding what has been spoken and what he still speaks. And so we have to be current in our walks with him. And one of the things that I found as a, as a mom that, you know, there's so much out there about teaching our children about God. About God. And as my kids got older and older, I realized that's not enough. Teaching my kids about God is not enough. It's like saying teaching my children about Christopher Columbus means they know Christopher Columbus. Is that the same thing? You read five paragraphs in a history text and go, yeah, I know about Christopher Columbus. But do you know him? Have you guys met him, walked down the street, heard what he had to say about what it was like when he discovered America? I mean, when we talk about knowing in our culture, it's kind of superficial. It's like just this deep. Yeah, I'm Facebook friends with them. What does that mean? I have no idea. That means we know the inventory of the events of somebody's life. That is so superficial. And what I want for my kids when I'm talking about them knowing God is I want them to encounter him. I want my children to encounter the living God because when they've encountered them, him, it goes so much deeper. So much deeper. They're hearing his voice. They're hearing his heartbeat for them. And that's what changes their lives. Because information has no power to transform you. But God does. Encountering the living God who speaks and knows us. And sometimes we think about encounter and it's like we hear the stories and I love stories about massive encounters of God, but sometimes they do a disservice because they think if mine doesn't look like, that I haven't encountered him. But I'm telling you in the middle of the night, the other night, this mama was worrying and stressing and not sleeping. And I said to the Lord, I'm like, Lord, you've got to teach me some new things because this whole not sleeping thing's not working for me. And instantly, he quietly said to me, honey, you've got to start praying from victory instead of for victory. I encountered him. It had no musical notes to it. It was not a large ramification, but I slept like a baby because he came and he encountered me in those small places. And so I want to today instill in you the importance of the encounter and also demystify it because you're encountering him every day. He wants to speak those still, small words. And do not devalue your encounters. Do not devalue them. And for my kiddos, I remember, and some of my littler ones here, this was, they might have been really small. Lydia and Maggie probably remember this. Um, but it was probably 10 years ago now, and I was just stirring over this whole process of encounter with my kiddos. And one morning I woke up at about 5 a.m., and I had this idea. And I got up, and I have a grain mill, and I threw some my wheat in there, and I started milling grain. And 
I made homemade cinnamon rolls, but like from grinding the wheat to making the dough and rolling it out. And I made cinnamon rolls for my kids for breakfast. And I called them all down after I woke them up. And we sat at the table and the cinnamon rolls are sitting in the middle. The whole house smells like cinnamon rolls because this has been a process. And I sat there and I started describing the cinnamon rolls to my kids and telling about the ingredients and the freshness of them and the, the sugar and the butter and all this stuff, telling them the information about the process of making cinnamon rolls. And then I told them they could all go upstairs and start school. And, I'm, and they're like, but we wanna eat. And I'm like, no, no, I told you about the cinnamon rolls. I think that's enough, right? Like the information about the cinnamon rolls, that's good. And they're like, yeah, they didn't really think that was a great idea. So we, we ate the cinnamon rolls. And I can tell you this, that my kiddos, if you told them cinnamon rolls were nasty, they wouldn't believe you. And the reason is, is they have encountered cinnamon rolls for themselves. They tasted them, they've eaten them, they've consumed them, and they knew they satisfied. And that's what we want for our kids with the Lord. We want them not to know about the ingredients of God or have systematic theology mastered down. There's a place for it, but it's not the primary place. The primary place is to lead them into an encounter with him so that they know and taste him. And then they go off to college and no matter what smart professor says, hey, God doesn't exist, they'll be like, I'm sorry for you, but I've encountered him. I have tasted and seen that he is good. And nothing you can say will sway me from that. And that is the power of encounter in our kiddos' lives. And I did write down some notes, so I'm going to visit them for a second. There were three keys that the Lord gave me about this. And key number one is knowing information about him isn't life-changing unless it leads us to encounter. Information is not life-changing unless it leads us to an encounter. And breaking down encounter a little bit more, I think that the Lord works in many ways. And some of us have analytical brains, and we like information. My husband likes information. But let me tell you something. The Lord wants to take that information that you learn and then he wants you to experience it. It's okay for stuff to come in as information as long as you begin to let it take you into encounter. If you keep it here, that's when it remains that, that superficial knowing. Let that information sink in so that it actually changes your life. The other thing is there's other people that are feelers, and they're going to experience stuff. And information processors kind of look at feelers like, oh, I don't know about that. You know, but the Lord encounters us and then he does want us to process through so that we have understanding of what we've encountered. It's the two way street, the knowledge to encounter, the encounter to information. They go hand in hand. We want to be people that actually can explain what God has done, right? We want to be able to explain it. However, it has to be attached to encounter. Key number two, information without encounter leads to living by learned principles instead of by his voice. And I spent a lot of years living by learned principles instead of by his voice. And it was, as small children say, bezosting. Absolutely bezosting to do that. Because we're just trying so hard to live the good Christian life and we're just going to muster through it. And then suddenly you encounter God and it's like everything becomes easier because you fall in love with him. And love does not have to work at those Christian disciplines. I spend time with them not because I have to, but because I really like him. And he really likes me. Key number three, God longs to encounter us because from a place of encounter, the disciplines of the Christian life easily flow. This is talking about a face-to-face -face relationship with God. And this is fun uh, that this was read this morning to start the service. Psalm 27, verse 8. When you said, seek my face, my heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. 
your face, Lord, I will seek. And my husband has a word that he's just going to share. So we're going to interrupt sermon for Jono to come up. And then we're going to continue. Hey, good morning, everyone. I just want to inject um, this word. I've been holding on to this for a few weeks, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm very encouraged to be able to give this to you this morning um, because it ties into exactly what Amy was saying. Well, you never know. <laughs> never know how long I'll go. Um, you know, we, we, we love the word generations. Obviously, our ministry really hinges on the word generations. Um, and, and the word that we love so much is the word culture. And the definition of culture is the sum total ways of living passed down from generation to generation. It's a powerful definition, isn't it? And really, when we connect to the culture of heaven, that's really what we want. That's what we want for our children, the culture of heaven, so that we live and we dwell and we have our being in that culture, and then it's passed to generations. So often we see culture as just the sum total ways of living, period. And so I asked the Lord one day, I said, what, what is that? What, is, what if we took off, passed down from generations, part of the definition? What is that? And he's, he told me, that's called an obituary. It's just a list of the things that we've accomplished in our lives, and we call that culture. But culture is where we actually inhabit his culture, where we're connected with his culture, and then we pass it to the generations, the sum total ways of living. And so I, you know, Amy and I are all about family, but I, I believe that he's really given, given me a word for, for this church, for this body, for Spirit Life Church very, very specifically. And so I just want to release this to you. I'm going to read it and maybe have a few little... Um, editorial comments <laughs> off of it, but um, here's the word, that this church has what the world is hungry for and what the world is seeking. When we think of a seeker-friendly church, we'll put that in quotes, a seeker-friendly church, I think, that we, I think that we have it all wrong. I think we've missed it. We think that seeker-friendly churches are those that entertain you, and you feel comfortable, and you can come, and it's low stakes, and there's a fog machine, and, and, the, and, and we, we call that seeker-friendly, but I, th I think that we've missed it. I think that's not what people are looking for. I don't think that's what people are seeking. What they are seeking is exactly what Amy just said. They are seeking for an authentic encounter with a living God. That's what people are hungry for. That's why they come to church. That's why they come. You know, they, they can get the fog machine anywhere. They're coming to church because they're seeking something that is outside of this world. And I believe that this church carries that. Since the Garden of Eden, humankind was created hardwired to long for the presence of something outside of this temporal world. We're hardwired. We are drawn to and we hunger for the reality of his kingdom. Every one of us, whether we know it or not, every, one of us, every person outside of this door is hardwired to, to hunger and long for an authentic encounter with something outside of this world. Um, for those of you that know, I'm, a, I'm an emergency room doctor and I work night shifts. I just worked last night. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so sometimes when I'm waiting for labs, I'm flipping through the TV at night and I'm, an, I'm amazed Maybe, maybe I shouldn't be so amazed. Amazed a bit of how many programs there are about paranormal things. I don't watch those, but I'm just flipping through them. And so I actually, I did a, a scary search. I went onto Google and I said, I said, paranormal TV shows. That's what I put in there. And guess how many there are right now? 88. 88 current TV shows on haunted, paranormal, psychic, alien, unexplained things. My friends, people are hungry. Why are there 88 shows? It's because people are longing for something outside of this temporal world. They're hungry for it. And, and, and this church carries this. Even the younger generation, what Amy said, of the church is leaving the church, the statistics are, are scary, frustrated because all they can receive is information about the cinnamon rolls, but have never been able to eat. Taste and see that the Lord is good. They know he is good, but they have never tasted it, the authentic encounter. They instead decide to go and taste the world. It does not taste as good as cinnamon rolls, but it's better than nothing. So I believe 
that today, this church, Spirit Life Church, I believe is given an invitation, a choice. I believe the Lord is inviting this church to a deeper, authentic encounter with the presence of God. I see the Holy Spirit. I love this word. This is the word he gave me. <laughs> Sorry, Pastor Jeff. <laughs> I see the Holy Spirit disrupting your plans. <laughs> Starting with worship and eventually consuming what would be called a, quote, church service. This may offend some, but it will satisfy the longing of the hearts and what we are seeking. The younger generation will be compelled and will recognize that this is the way, the better way than the world can offer. I believe that the leadership of this church has the maturity and the passion to steward this move. And I believe the Lord is telling the leadership of this church that there is no need to dial it down, no need to calm it down, and no need to dumb it down. Those that will be here will come with mouths open, ready and hungry to consume. Spirit Life Church has what the world is seeking. So, Father, we just, we just release that word and we just bless that, Lord Jesus. We just thank you for this place and what you are stirring here. Lord, we can just feel it in our bones, Lord God, what you are doing. And all it requires us is to say yes. Lord, you, you do the work. The Holy Spirit is stirring and he's powerful and he's more than enough. He's everything that this world needs. And, Lord Jesus, this, this place, this home, this, this sanctuary in Alexandria, Lord God, is a place, is a place, Lord Jesus, where there is an authentic encounter with the power and the reality of your kingdom. So, Lord, I just call it forth right now, and we just together agree. We say yes. If you do agree, just say it out loud. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. We just say yes to whatever you have and your spirit and your move in this place, Lord God. Thank you for the word, and we just activate it now by the power of your spirit. In your name, amen. I love it when the Lord kind of warns us so that we can choose to be pre-offended when things don't, or pre-unoffended when things don't go as we think they should. <laughs> so you've been warned. Um, so the, the main thing that's been stirring on my heart is about navigating transitions. And I don't know if any of the rest of you have had a couple of transitions in the last couple of years that you've had to navigate for yourself, that you've had to help your children navigate through some pretty serious disappointments and um, things that we had to lay aside and, and relationships that suddenly had very strange things come between them that we couldn't imagine uh, three years ago, even two years, three months ago, we couldn't have imagined. And um, I feel like part of what the church uh, in this next season of life where things are happening and we are uh, moving along from glory to glory to glory is that we need to become master stewarders of the seasons and the transitions of life because transitions are never clean cuts from yesterday. Transitions are cumulative things where the Lord's taking us from this glory that we now know into the next glory, but that means we take with us what we had before. Each glory is surging because he's adding to it. And there are some things that the Lord showed me in my life that are things I can do to partner with him in stewarding these transitions from glory to glory to glory. And, you know, we've had some radical transitions, crazy ones, but there are just everyday transitions, like a, a baby learning to walk. It's a transition for a mother. Believe me, if you've ever had to like, you know, it's a transition. A child graduating from high school and going into college. A son or a daughter getting married. A grandchild being born. Our lives are series of practical transitions. Um, but those transitions also exist in the spirit because he's always growing us up, right? Thank the Lord you're always growing us up. I'm not the same today as I was last year. And it's a 
really good thing. And keep that in mind, parents, when you look at your 25-year-old kids, they aren't 48 yet, right? They've got stuff to learn. It's okay for them to be 25. And so it's, it's fun to transition sometimes, and it's freaky to transition sometimes. Um, but I just want to give you five things that the Lord has shown me um, about transitions. And I feel like this is, a, this is for me, but I also feel like this is where your church is at, like navigating some of these things. And as we all learn to steward them with the wisdom of heaven, uh, we can just advance faster. You know, he's not super stressed about it, but I'd like to navigate these things as best I can, you know. And so um, key number one, know that the Father has pre-prepared you for whatever new circumstances you find yourself in. You are pre-prepared. When you find those suddenly moments and you're like, oh my goodness, what do I do now? He is not startled. He is not concerned. He's saying, come on, baby, find my face because you know this. Just take a breath. You know this. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 says, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, the great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So uh, this is very practical. But the question why is not a friendly. Why is a question that will actually set us up with mindsets for defeat. Because if we're wanting to know the why, we've missed the whole point that God is always up to something good, even when the enemy is doing something bad. God always has a what he is doing. So leave the question why for someone else and start just saying, okay, right here in the midst of this understandable thing, what are you up to, God? What are you doing? What should I do in this moment? Show me what it looks like to navigate this because I know I've been pre-prepared for it. But when we ask why, we just get into that helpless place of defeat. <laughs> and we don't need to know. We just need to know what's our place to do and what he's up to. So this gives us a victorious mindset instead of one based on defeat. And the next part of this key is that our um, interpretation of transitions matter. So probably uh, 12 or 13 years ago, I began to have a series of encounters with God that I couldn't understand explain, but I, I, it was incredible because I, I was sitting in a woman's Bible study the very first time it happened. I was sitting in my chair when suddenly I now know it's kabod, that's the weighty presence of God, just began to rest on me. I couldn't move a muscle. I could barely move my head. I was glued to the chair and just like, you know, God, I know you're doing something and I love you. I have no understanding of this. And, and I thought it would be a one-time event. I finally was able to drive home. And then a few days later, I was just sitting, minding my own business in a, my chair at my house, and the same thing happened. And this began to happen at very weird and sometimes awkward moments. Like I remember driving in the car with my parents, and I'm sitting in the back seat, and all of a sudden I'm like, you know, and I literally can't move. And, and another time I had all my nieces and nephews over and my sister-in-law, and they're all very, very Baptist. So this was exciting. I was sitting on my, my couch and all the kids are running around playing. And all of a sudden I'm glued to the couch. My head's like crinked over like this. And I'm sitting there like, and my nieces and nephews are like, what's the matter? I'm like, it's just God. Everything's fine. You know, and I'm glued there and just sitting and letting God do his thing which I don't need to understand. He's doing something inside of me. And this happened for probably a year and a half. And suddenly, this encounter shifted, and I have not experienced it for a very long time. 
And let me tell you, my interpretation of the shift in that is very important. Because if I begin to think, oh, God's far off now. He's not coming as near to me. I must have done something wrong. And I begin to take doubts and all of that, and I begin backpedaling away from my relationship with God because I feel like somehow I've done something wrong. But you know what he showed me? He's like, Amy, Amy, when I switch how I'm encountering you, it's an invitation to lean in and see how I'm encountering you now. Because he switches it up on us. And then instead of pulling away, I began to lean in and saying, okay, how are you showing up today, God? What do you want to do today? And then I went through this strange season where every time the Lord came, I could feel pressure change in my ears. And I could just, you know, and he's so much fun. It is an adventure. But when he switches things up, your interpretation of the change matters. This is truth. God is never pulling away from you. Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Did God stay away? Or did he come looking for them? Adam and Eve are the ones that hid. Don't be the hiders. Be the ones that say, here I am. Here I am. How do you want to work in me today? So your interpretation of the transitions in your spiritual life are vital. Number two, know the truth and violently possess it no matter how you feel or what thoughts go through your mind. Now this is where the real battle in life is, isn't it, guys? Know the truth and violently possess it no matter how you feel or what thoughts go through your mind. Because when the Lord has spoken to you, his word is established. He doesn't change. He's not going to shift. He's not going to be like, yeah, yesterday I really thought I could use you today. Mm, not so much. That's not our daddy. When he has spoken, it is so. God said, let there be light. It hasn't stopped since that day. Right? Because what he speaks is established. And for me... One of the things when the Lord speaks truth into my life, and I know it's true, I have to repeat it. I don't want to be a forgetter. I want to be a rememberer. And so tangible things that I have done is like writing my own declarations for what the Lord has said is true about me. And I repeat those to myself. I have a little notebook that sits next to my Bible every morning, and I get it out, and I read them. And I read them out loud. It's nice when nobody else is awake because I can talk to myself all I want to. And I do because it's very, very important. And when the Lord's taking us from one season to the next, yesterday's declarations you're going to want to bring forward. But he's going to give you new ones for today because what I am doing now at 48 is not what I was doing at 30. The things that he was doing and establishing are new in this season. So keep current the things the Lord is speaking to you. Write them down and repeat them out loud. We want to keep ourselves current in what he is doing. And part of that is remembering. Transition in one season will not look or feel like transition in the next. It won't be the same. That's part of the journey. He's romantic. And if our husbands did the exact same thing for us on every anniversary, our first anniversary went to that one restaurant, he gave me one rose. Second anniversary, same restaurant, same rose. Third anniversary, da 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 I don't know. By the time we got to 50 years, I'd be like, hey, let's change it up a little bit, you know? And so he, the Lord loves to do something and then surprise us and do something new. So be aware of that and be okay with things transitioning and looking different. Key number three. Oh, I should add this. Um, the other thing that I do is that I, I review my prophetic words. 
things that other people have given me and things that just between the Lord and I, things that are written in my journals. There, there are journal times where, you know, you're just writing and you're sharing your heart with the Lord. And then there are journal times when the Lord's speaking to you. And those are those things. Those are prophetic, personal prophetic words that the Lord is just speaking to you. And I keep those. I pull them out of my main journal and I have another spot. I keep those so that I can re-remember the things that he's been speaking. And so keeping those things fresh in our mind, those are just some practical things. Key number three, do not base the rightness of where the Lord is taking you on the ease with which is it obtained. His voice is the only guide. Do not base the rightness of where the Lord is taking you on the ease with which it is obtained. We just went this to a college a campus visit with Maggie. She's uh, our volleyball player. And we met with a volleyball coach. And this coach said, there's something about this generation that thinks that uh, hard means wrong. Hard and wrong are synonymous. And he said, uh, hard does not mean it's bad, right? And that's the same in the kingdom. So whoever that coach from Jamestown is, I don't even know the guy's first name, but it's truth. Hard does not mean bad. Sometimes there are seasons where we have to really work at what the Lord's called us to do. So one of the things, I'm going to take a quick sip. One of the things that I have written in my journal from something that this is what the Lord said to me. So this is God talking to Amy, but I feel like it applies to this. In my past seasons... You can lean back, and all the grace you needed was readily available for the task. When the seasons change, you can't access grace in the same way. Some seasons require you to lean in. The grace is so good, but maturity learns new ways to access it in the transitions of life. And I think there's so much truth here by the Lord that sometimes, you know, we're in a lean back season, where we're just like, oh, just taking things as it comes because the Lord just wants us to be in that season of rest. But if we always stayed in that season of rest and assume that that feeling of ease is what's going to accompany everything in life, we're going to miss it when he's asking us to lean in and access grace in an active way. When he's saying, hey, I want to engage with you in this. I want to labor with you in this. And there are transitions that require us to lean in, to lean in. And so many, you know, it, anybody who's grown up in the church has heard this phrase, the grace has lifted for me in this area of my life, which sometimes that's true, but sometimes it might be a season where he's actually saying, I need to partner with you. I want you to put a little into this with me, Amy. You know, and if we we're like, no, but I've been in this season doing this. It's been so easy. And he's like, yeah, transition change. I want you to do this. And we stay here and say, no, this is how I want to stay. I want to be the grace receiver just like this all my life. We might miss that transition and the invitation of him to lean in and access his grace in a new way. And one of the things, um, I last time I was here, I shared my testimony with you guys. And I don't know how many of you were there, but I spent a lot of my early Christian life trying to do the good things of the kingdom by the just pure guts of, you know, walking through life. And then I encountered God, and he shifted all of that for me. But after that shift where I was like, Lord, I just love you, I sat down pretty much all those other disciplines because they were so, not repulsive is not the right word, but they had been bondage for me. It had been bondage, and so I had this season where I was just being with him, and it didn't have the structure and the rhyme and the reason that sometimes you would say accompanies the Christian walk. And that went on for a while, but then there came a time, and this is what he, he said to me, it's time for your spiritual disciplines to be baptized in love instead of legalism. And I was like, Okay, because he was now bringing me into a season of my maturity where I could step into the spiritual disciplines and begin to do those things from my will because I am a lover of him. Yes. And so 
the will is defined as the power of choosing one's own actions. And it is a very, very important tool for us as long as it's not married to legalism. And so <coughs> he, the Lord was showing me that my spirit is the source of the plan. My soul is where it's interpreted and my body is where it's executed. And they, all three of them have to come into line. And I have to purposefully choose to execute to do the will of God. And if I don't, I mean, he still loves me. This it doesn't affect his love, but it affects my fruitfulness. And I don't know about you, but I want to be a fruitful girl in the kingdom of God, which means saying yes and then establishing my will married to love to execute those things with him. First Thessalonians 5. Yes. Oh, the spirit's the source of the plan. The soul is the interpretation of the plan and the body is the execution of the plan. 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. He is yippy-skippy good. He will do it. And he loves to partner with you and me because we are the kingdom advancers. It's not Jeff and Natasha because they're paid. There is nowhere in scripture that attaches kingdom assignments to payment. And so every single one of us are the ones that do the mission of the kingdom of God. And the call on your life is so valuable to him. And if there's any little part that's saying, yeah, but nobody will, I can't. Okay, that's, the, that's just the enemy trying to silence the magnificence of who you are. And so it's time for that to be gone. So that leaves the church. Thank you, Jesus. That just gets to go. Key number four, use your will to do what has been breathed into you by revelation and encounter to advance the kingdom of God. Use your will to do what has been breathed into you by revelation and encounter to advance the kingdom of God. So the things, you know, the Lord wants to to rid us of legalism and I don't know how many of you like grew up in the church like your whole life anybody there's a there's quite a few of us in here this is one area where it is a blessing to not have been <laughs> because sometimes for those of us that have been raised in the church there is religious bondage that we don't even know is there there's the, the have-tos, musts, and, the, and might I add, the furrowed brow of, you know, trying to get the teenagers in line with a little fear of God, you know, that, 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 that swerves our view of who he is. The Lord is near to us, right? The kingdom of God is at hand. He's not up here. This is, this is bad theology that God's up here. God is near to us. He's right here. He's in, in our midst, like all around us. He is right here and he is good. And he wants to show you, encounter you in that place of love so that all the stuff that you're feeling stirring, but it terrifies you, actually you can surrender and say, yeah, 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 I'm crazy about you. Let's do this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that I just release over this room right now. Just that the stuff that has been, you know, the, didn't we read something like about like the something chains coming off this morning in one of our songs? Yeah, that those chains, those legalistic chains would slip off right now in Jesus' name. Yeah. And we just release forgiveness for the well-meaning people that were teaching and training us when we were kids. They didn't know, and we just release them in forgiveness. Our churches, 
pastors that were doing what they thought was best for us. And we just step into that place of love because you are here, you are close, and you are crazy about us. We don't have to in the kingdom, we get to. And we just allow that transition to take place even right now, as we're just sitting here, that all the have-tos would drain away. And that a sense of anticipation for the get-tos would rise up. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you, Daddy. Our encounters with Daddy often engage our emotions and sometimes our minds, depending upon how he speaks to us. But always, they need to find an action point in our will. This is how we walk out the kingdom of God upon the earth. And we must mature to the point that we execute the truths we learned and encounter apart from the emotions and feelings of it. How many, this is me, you know, you know, you have those moments of encounter and he is speaking and you know it's him. And then three days later, you try to tell something about it and it sounds so flat because, you know, you've stepped out of that like anointed moment where it's like, oh, like the vibrating with the reality of it. And you moved into normal and you began to share it and it didn't feel the same anymore. And so then that's where the enemy can put doubt you know, because we've moved away from the feel and the emotion, which proved to us. And now we're just standing here going, okay, now how do I do this? Because it doesn't, I don't feel the life on it anymore. Remember that no matter what you feel, when he has given you something and spoken it into your life, that the emotions or lack thereof have no bearing as you begin to move forward and walk it out. We can't use emotions to be our right or wrong in the kingdom of God. He sometimes uses them to awaken us, but they aren't our, like, guiding thing. Can you imagine what life would look like if we did that? And some, but sometimes we do, and we don't even realize it. You know, if you step out, and you're like, yeah, don't make all your decisions by emotions. But how many times do we say, like, we actually do? Like, I'm not sure that was God because now I don't feel it. Obadiah 17 says, But on Mount Zion there shall be deliverance, and there shall be holiness, and the house of Jacob shall possess their possessions. And this is where we're at. The Lord has spoken things into all of our lives, and it's time for us to possess our possessions. This is generational thinking. We do not want to leave those things undone. We want to do the things that are ours for our lifetime so that we can pass them to the generations. This is that victorious mindset of moving forward from glory to glory. It's about me possessing my possessions so that my uh, Jacob can possess his and so that his daughter Lucille can possess hers. We have to walk with the generations in mind. Key number five, look at what I did, key number five. That's great, I'm a homeschool teacher. Key number five. What is taught in one season must be mastered in the next. What is taught in one season must be mastered in the next. So the Lord is always speaking. That's, if, you, if you're in this room and you're saying to yourself, yeah, but this is all great, but God doesn't speak to me, that's a lie. So we're going to establish this truth. God is always speaking. Always speaking. Now, learning to hear how he's speaking in this season is the romance. It's not the frustration. It's the romance. Because how he spoke in last season may not be how he speaks now. But if you know he's always speaking, you're going to be on the adventure of like, ah, 
I'm listening, I'm watching, I'm looking, and you're going to begin to be like, hey, that road sign was meaningful. Yeah, you're going to be one of those because you're going to be watching and looking for him to be speaking to you. And establishing that is just part of who you are. He speaks to me. It doesn't matter how I feel. It doesn't matter my experience. None of that matters. He is always speaking. That's truth. Uh, and then, you know, as you are mastering from one season to the next, going back and reading those prophetic words, um, pulling out journals, keeping those things forward in your life is important. But the Holy Spirit is a master at this. He is so good at reminding us of the right thing in the right time for the right season, like bringing me this message that I needed to preach to myself this morning. He is good at reminding his kids. That's what he does. He's making us into the perfect image and bride of Christ. He has created us for magnificence. So just get comfortable with that. You are created for magnificence, and he is going to spur your mind and remind you of the things that you need to know. So, to, you know, in the mornings, get out of bed and be like, Holy Spirit, what do you want to talk to me about today? Because he is always, always going to be speaking. And life in the kingdom of heaven is cumulative. It's, there's, there's no exam at the end, but it's all information that we need to keep current. And I love that about him. So go on an adventure this week. Pull out those random journals from way, way back and start reading them. See what the Lord was talking to you about. See what those things were. Read those margin notes in your Bible, you know, where you're like, this was for Jacob on da 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 date, you know? Those things. Look at the things that he has already done and established for you. 2 Corinthians 3.18 says, But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. <laughs> with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord. Beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, that means that God and I kind of look alike. Oh, he is glorious and I radiate his glory. And he, in this season, is transforming me in that image from glory to the glory. And who is doing it? It says, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. The Spirit of the Lord. Oh, you are so good to us. You know, how many of us have heard the stories, you know, like of Moses when he came off the mountain and he was so radiant that the people couldn't look at him. That's where this veil, that's the veil they're talking about. Boom, had to put a veil over his face because they're like, oh. And then you hear the more modern stories about some of the, the revivalists, you know, even in the last hundred years where they radiated with the glory of God. I heard of a man who was preaching 10 years ago, it might not even be that long ago, and as he preached, his whole face began to glow because he was radiating with the glory of God. I don't think these are supposed to be the exceptions. I think this is supposed to be the rule. We are the radiant bride of Christ. That's not a figure of speech. Like, really, the radiant bride of Christ, we're supposed to radiate glory. Radiate glory. So, I have just a, a, a word that the Lord gave to me. And I am going to read this over you guys. And it's about a page and a half long, so it's not, it's not long, it's not short. Um, get comfy, and I just want you guys to listen and receive and let the Lord do some, you know, it's okay for him to go ch -ch -ch and rearrange our hearts. Let's be rearrangeable. I always want to be a rearrangeable girl where he can speak and I can be like, oh, it's, you are so right. Forgive me and move into a new place. That's, that's part of the glory to glory. Quick repentance. It's not a big deal. He doesn't make it a big deal. We do. 
So just find a, find a comfy, quiet, close your eyes, and I'm going to read this over you. I'm not just developing you. I have something critical that I need you to share with my kids, a profound upgrade that will gather the possessions of this generation and make them accessible to the next. I have talked to Joshua about this. He was learning so much about me and learning so fast. I needed him to talk to his family about what he was learning for him too. This is Joshua in the Bible. He was establishing himself in me. His roots were going deeper with every mention of my supremacy. He was keeping me forever before his eyes. He was keeping himself current in my radical goodness over his life, remembering it all and pulling it continually forward. Yesterday's revelation was continuing to be his current truth. He learned to mix appropriately encounter and the will. What I showed him, he grabbed onto and purposely taught again and again and again. I have fresh words for you and for your family, but my past words are for you to continually devour. This season is powerful, but the seasons past are not irrelevant. This season can only be correctly interpreted if you remember what I've given you in the past. It's not a clean break. Our dance continues and our moves together are cumulative. Live in that reality. I love to establish myself in you. So often my kids don't realize that when I move emotions away from a principle I've taught, it is there that their powerful will gets to kick in. Your will is not your enemy. It is time to wake it up and let it do, it, let it do its job I created it for. It is a powerful tool that I made in my image. Your will is mine, fully and completely saturated by me. Use it to do what I have breathed into you by revelation and encounter. Your will puts feet to what I teach you at my throne. I need my children to execute my glory over the face of the earth. My glory is displayed in you as you pull down, making it your own, and walk it out on the earth. Experience and encounter must marry the mind and the will, not just touch our emotions. Your emotions are an easy access point from the spirit, but then your mind and will must engage. You are made like me very spectacularly. In the past, emotions were viewed negatively, but your emotions are a powerful tool that I love to use to awaken your mind and will to my truth and plan. But don't forget that when your emotions move on, my truth remains. I love to engage with you with all of you. 100% of you is my delight. Embrace you and the journey I have you on. It's time to possess your possession, yours from your lifetime. Speak of them, share them, write them down, walk them out so that you learn to develop the exceptional into the normal. That is my delight. So, Daddy, we are your kids. And we're crazy about the honor of being your kids. And we are so thankful and so excited that you chose to partner with us. That my hands and feet have great value in the kingdom of God. Why don't you guys say that? My hands and feet have great value in the kingdom of God. That's truth over you. Your family that you are serving every day, whether your kids are still in your home or they are not, 
as parents, as grandparents, there is a continual service of prayer that we get to do from, from victory, not for it, because we are victorious. We stand in the victory of the cross. It's, it's sure and complete. Thank you, Daddy. So, Daddy, as this church is moving forward into great things, Father, let them get comfortable with their status as giants in the kingdom. That their radiation of glory would be welcomed by each of them. That we would not squirm because we're called to magnificence but that we would step into that place as your kids changing the world. One neighbor, one family member at a time because you are so big and enormous and yet you see sparrows. Thank you, Daddy. So this week, we, your kids, are going to walk wide awake and with our eyes wide open, watching to see what you are doing now in this season of our lives. We are great stewards of what we've been given and what we've been called to do. Thank you, Dad.